growing up in Montana and just within my family, there was a lot of like, you have to work really, really hard. And there also was this idea of why would you ever want to earn more than like 50,000 a year? What would you even do with that money? Yeah. Like, so I think I felt guilt also about wanting to earn more. I oftentimes would find myself like trying to deny that there was even financial desire. Yeah. It's like, you know, I see this a lot in the heart centered entrepreneur space. Oh, yeah. Like, it's just to help people. Like, yeah, it's to help people and it's for you to support yourself with money and earn your worth. Right. So I would like totally ignore that part. I had a terrible, terrible relationship with money for years and years and years. And it, it definitely impacted my business. Yeah. Yeah. Were you aware that you had an unhealthy relationship with money or did it only kind of come into your awareness when you became an entrepreneur? I was aware. I mean, so childhood, just sharing some of that. I watched my dad go through bankruptcy. We lost our house. We were on food stamps and there was periods of my life where I had two outfits to wear and that was it. They're from Goodwill. Like there was all of this like fear, scarcity. My parents taught, my dad specifically talked about money when he shouldn't have. There was a lot of like him talking about losing his job or losing the house and just being exposed to money is scary. Yeah at a very young age. And, the, and that got hardwired to the point where I would just avoid even thinking about it, looking at it. It was like, swipe my card, hope there's money in the account. If it gets declined, like just leave in shame. Like That's kind of where I was at. So I knew that was bad, but I didn't know what to do about it. Hello, beautiful souls. Today's episode is so, so good. And before we jump in, I have some exciting news to share. If you've ever wondered where you're blocking money, this is for you. I've created a free quiz to diagnose your money wounds so you can heal them and unblock yourself to receive more money. Just go to moneywoundsquiz.com and answer six quick questions to get your insanely accurate and potent results. And if you're loving my vibe and want to work one-on-one to call in more feminine energy wealth, I would love to hear from you. You can shoot me a DM on social media or go to emilywilcox.com to learn more. Hey, hey, I've got such a juicy episode for you today. Quickly before we dive in, many of you have reached out to ask how we can work together. And I do have limited openings to work with me via one-on-one private coaching inside the Rise Mastermind. And I've actually even opened up a few spots for human design readings. So if you're ready to step into feminine energy wealth, this is for you. If you're serious about ditching those old limiting beliefs, you're tired of having to hustle to grow your business and income, and you're ready to attract more money, joy, and ease from feminine energy, this is for you. If you're tired of being in control all the time and feeling the pressure of your business and your household, then this is for you. If you want to be relaxed and work in life, but don't know how without all the balls dropping, then this is for you. So head to Instagram or Facebook and send me a DM, or you can click the link in the show notes. Take the action now that your future self will thank you for. All right. Welcome back to the show. I'm super excited to have my friend, Dr. Morgan Anderson on the show. She is a clinical psychologist and relationship coach. She hosts the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast, and she's the creator of the ESL Relationship Method. She helps women break the toxic dating cycle, raise their self-worth, and attract the healthy relationship they've always wanted. Morgan, I'm so happy you're here. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Hey, Emily, thank you for having me. Such a pleasure. And I'm I'm so glad you're doing this work and doing this podcast and really looking forward to our conversation. Me too. And you, this is such a full circle moment because you were one of the people that I went to first when, when I got the spiritual call to start this podcast. I'm like, okay, let me talk to Morgan because I know that she has a super successful podcast that she really loves. And So I feel like you gave me so many practical tips that I've implemented. So it's actually just super fun to have you on the show and be able to thank you publicly. 
I love that so much. And I will tell you, many people come to me for advice. Few people actually start a podcast. So I hope you can have a ton of gratitude to yourself for actually doing it. Many people don't. They want to and they don't execute. So it's exciting for me to be like, yeah, she took the advice and she did it. I did it. Totally. Somebody sent me like a, you know, a salesy kind of email about like growing the audience on my podcast. And they said something about like, I see you've gotten past like the eight episode mark, which is where most people quit. And yeah. I felt like, well, I must be doing something right if I'm now getting like spam emails about yes. how to grow the podcast. Like I've made oh. it. Those never stop. Just you're just oh, getting more I, and more. I can only imagine. Yeah, the volume only goes up in yes. direct correlation to your success. Exactly. Yes, but no, I'm so excited for you. Thank you, thank you. So I'm so happy that you're here and that we can just start to riff on like all things, you know, entrepreneurship, women in business, and money. You and I met gosh, probably over a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago mm-hmm. in the bro mastermind as, yes. <laughs> as I lovingly refer to it. I like to kind of hate on them a little bit, but I'm actually so, so thankful for that mastermind. Just a lot of good business fundamentals. Also a lot of learning what I don't want to do, but most importantly, the relationships that especially us women built within that mastermind are just absolutely invaluable. So, and at the time you were still seeing some private practice patients, right. As a clinical psychologist, but Mm -hmm. you had also built this successful coaching business where you were helping women really like break out of toxic relationship patterns Mm -hmm. and get into like incredible, healthy, like loving relationships, probably with self and then with a romantic partner. Yes. Yes. All true that I I started out as a clinical psychologist. That was the route that I was going to take from a very young age. I knew in middle school, I wanted to be a clinical psychologist, which is rare, right? Most people don't know that early on, but then I did it and I built a private practice in La Jolla. Beautiful. I was 10 minutes from the beach. I had amazing clients. I had a wait list, like people love seeing me. And I was seeing 30 people a week and I was totally burnt out. Mm. Like I should be just ecstatic. I worked my whole life for this. I got a doctorate degree. I went into 300,000 plus dollars of debt to be where I'm at and I'm miserable. And it was hard to, to be at that place. And then that's when I started the coaching business. Yeah. Isn't it fascinating when part of our life path is basically to give us everything we thought that we wanted so that we can learn that it wasn't actually the thing? Yes. So was it just, were you burnt out because you felt like you were spending too much time working or was it actually even the type of work, like sitting on a couch or, you know, sitting with a patient on the couch in front of you for that many hours? Like it just wasn't what you thought it was going to be. It's a really good question. I've thought about that because when we're burnt out, we want to understand why, what can we attribute it to? I really think that I was playing a role that I, you know, I I was showing up how I thought I was supposed to essentially. Mm. I really value clinical psychotherapy and it was limiting how I wanted to show up. You're really, you're holding space, you're a safe container, but in our ethical code, we're not supposed to give advice. We're not supposed Mm. to open up about who we are. We're not supposed to share our journey We're taught in grad school to be a blank screen, to not share anything. And it was hurting my heart to continue to work that way and simply just not serve people in the way that I I knew that they needed to be served. Yeah. That is so fascinating. And I know that like, I want to dig deeper because I know that this sort of like shedding of identities or perhaps... Mm -hmm more aptly put, like kind of stepping into this truer expression of you as a coach, like also meant 
kind of a grieving of the loss of the part of you that thought that you were going to be a psychologist forever and spent so many years and so much money getting that training, which of course still helps you today, but it's, Mm -hmm. it was less about the skills. And I think it was more about the identity. So can you speak more about that? Absolutely. So being a trained psychologist, when you're in those circles, coaching is a dirty word. Like they're like, oh, coaches just basically do what we do, but they don't have the training and they just call themselves coaches. But it's a bunch of BS. Like there was there was a ton of judgment from my psychologist circle around what it meant to be a coach. Yeah. I even had psychologists reach out to me and tell me that it was illegal. Mm that there would be legal action against me if I became a coach. It's like all of this fear mongering in the psychologist world. So I let that get in the way for a while. But then ultimately I knew just because it's new and different, that's why people are scared of it. So I took action, consulted with lawyers, got all the information and I started my business. But It was interesting, like, how do you go from being a psychologist to a coach? And I think what you realize is like the identity is even bigger than that. Like, I think of myself as a healer, Mm. as, you know, a thought leader, as a a change agent. Like, we put ourselves in these little boxes, but we're all so much bigger than those labels. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I got to witness behind the scenes when you were deciding to stop treating that last handful of patients. And it was Mm -hmm. like, you know, it was that last little bit of that old identity that was hanging on and that last little bit of the backup plan, right? The really safe, the safe place to land. And you were like, I, I need to like close that chapter. Yeah, this is fascinating. And this, of course, relates to money, right? So I know we're going to talk about that. But the idea of, you know, my psychotherapy practice presented the traditional path, the stable quote unquote path, the path that when I said what I did, my parents, my colleagues, my friends knew what it meant. Yeah. Right. Like it was like understood by people. Yeah. Whereas this, coaching business, I'm pretty sure a lot of my family still doesn't know what I do. Like I can't explain it. And I think it was like just this this awareness that I am an entrepreneur. Mm. I, I remember I had a lot of ups and downs in my business in the beginning in terms of revenue, as we all do. Yeah. I had a really low month and I had hired a male salesperson to sell to women for relationship coaching. Big mistake. This guy had taken like 40 sales calls and not closed any of them. And I remember just like crying. I'm on the floor. And I called a coach. And he said to me, Morgan, you're an entrepreneur. You'll figure it out. It was the first time I had ever thought of myself as an entrepreneur. Even though I'd been a business owner for a year, I hadn't made the identity shift to being an entrepreneur. So I think what helped me the most was understanding the zone of genius principle. Like we have to be in the place that we enjoy the most, where we can add the most value to the world. And ultimately my psychotherapy practice was not that place. So taking on the entrepreneur identity, the healer identity, and like fully embracing it. Yeah. I love it. And I think your business revenue really changed at that point too. I think that was a pretty pivotal shift of like energetically going all in. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just like rewind on the money timeline. So that way Mm -hmm. we can understand it all in the context. So like when you had a full private practice in La Jolla, like with Mm -hmm. the wait list, what were you making in a year? Probably 80 to 95,000. Okay. So, like for me growing up in Montana, how much would I have had to pay for an hour of your time? Oh, it depended because I had insurance clients. So, there was that at the highest level, 250 an hour. Okay. Right. So, there was a time when that would have been like the dream come true. Like, somebody's going to pay me 250 an hour. I'm going to make like 80, 100 grand a year. Like, this is the stuff of dreams. Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah. But for the first, I remember, I mean, I was in grad school living off 16,000 a year in student loan money. So going from that to like the 80K, it was that feeling of like, ooh, I've made it, you know, yeah. even though I had it internally, which I'm sure is like a whole other story, but <laughs> I'm sure we'll get there. Right. Right. Well, yeah. one of the funniest things about money to me is that like the milestone never feels like how you think it's going to feel. No. Yeah. I can't tell you that I was any happier, right? Where it's like, I expected that money to just totally change my life and it didn't. Yeah. So you start taking, I don't know, was it just like a few coaching clients on the side or what did those (laughs) early days look like? (laughs) So I was at dinner with my cousin and his wife and I was like, I have this crazy idea. I think I want to like start a coaching business. And she was like, okay, let's talk about it. And I told her what I wanted to do that. I kept noticing that in therapy, people would get all this awareness about their dating patterns, but then they didn't actually know how to transform and what to do to become who they wanted to. So they know where they're at. They have awareness of point A but they don't know how to get to point B, right? So I saw this gap and I was like, I lay awake at night thinking about I could help people get to point B and it's not out there. And she was like, well, let's do it. And and she built my website with me. I kid you not, Emily, my first coaching package was with a guy. I, I literally was like posting myself everywhere. I would take anybody. It was this like guy, entrepreneur dude, And it was like $600 for eight sessions, even less than I charged as a psychologist. So started there and then I invested in my first business coach. And that's when my coaching business really changed. And she taught me about building an offer, knowing your avatar, all those essentials and helped me launch my podcast. And then it started to where, yeah, I'd get like two clients a month. And then maybe I get three clients a month, but I was never over five clients in the very beginning. So from a revenue perspective, you're maybe pulling in what, a few thousand a month from coaching? I was earning anywhere from zero to 6K was like an amazing month. Yeah. Yeah. So at what point did you start scaling down the private practice to focus more on the coaching business? Honestly, people don't realize this. I was full-time private practice for the first two years of my business. It wasn't until you saw me when... I mean, it's been recent. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you share that because that's my story too. Like, I spent three years working full-time while building... I mean, at the time, I labeled it a side hustle, but really... You know, it was my heart and soul. Yeah. It just took a while, right? To get to the level where mm-hmm. I could leave that security. I was the breadwinner in our family. So I'm glad you share that because I think sometimes there's pressure to go all in. And it's like you can oh, yeah. go all in energetically without having to like pull the the rug out from under yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I'm very grateful that I love psychotherapy. So it wasn't like I was showing up to a job I hated. I yeah. love it. Yeah. I just love building my business more. Yeah. Is how I explain it to people. So, you know, there there was that. But ultimately, gosh, I remember being full-time private practice, having 25 clients a week, taking 60 sales calls in a month, and coaching clients and recording podcasts. I had seasons where I had no free time. I worked weekends, I worked 12 hour days. That's the real truth. Do you have to do it that way? No, but that's how I built it. Yeah. Well, and that also sounds to me like what I call the hard money wound. So, oh, for sure. Yeah. When we have that subconscious wiring of more effort for more money, then it's like, oh, okay. Mm then I'll do a 60 hour week. Could I do a 70 hour week? I wonder what the results would be like if I did that. Yeah. And I think, so I mean, growing up in Montana and just within my family, there was a lot of like, you have to work really, really hard 
And there also was this idea of why would you ever want to earn more than like 50,000 a year? What would you even do with that money? Yeah. Like, so I think I felt guilt also about wanting to earn more. I oftentimes would find myself like trying to deny that there was even financial desire. Yeah. It's like, you know, I see this a lot in the heart centered entrepreneur space. Oh, yeah. Like, it's just to help people. Like, yeah, it's to help people and it's for you to support yourself with money and earn your worth. Right. So I would like totally ignore that part. I had a terrible, terrible relationship with money for years and years and years. And it it definitely impacted my business. Yeah. Yeah. Were you aware that you had an unhealthy relationship with money or did it only kind of come into your awareness when you became an entrepreneur? I was aware. I mean, so childhood, just sharing some of that. I watched my dad go through bankruptcy. We lost our house. We were on food stamps. And there was periods of my life where I had two outfits to wear and that was it. They're from Goodwill. Like There was all of this like fear, scarcity. My parents talked... My dad specifically talked about money when he shouldn't have. There was a lot of like him talking about losing his job or losing the house and just being exposed to money is scary Yeah, at a very young age. And, the, and that got hardwired to the point where I would just avoid even thinking about it, looking at it. It was like, swipe my card, hope there's money in the account. If it gets declined, like just leave in shame. Like that's kind of where I was at. So I knew that was bad, but I didn't know what to do about it. And it was survival. I think about my relationship with money. It was like a survival fear relationship. Yeah. And I wonder too, was there a feeling because of those childhood memories of like the money could go at any moment? Like I could buy it. Well, it's this whole, it's scarcity mindset. You know, we know this and guess what? It was the same in my relationships with men. Like this is all connected. Yeah. The fear of, yes, if I get it, it's just going to be gone. Yeah. Right. So I would, I would have either the approach of like, well, I have it. I should just spend it because I may not ever have it again. So let me just do whatever I want and make these terrible decisions that didn't support me. Or I would go through phases where I wouldn't spend anything. Mm. And it was just like, okay, I'm going to eat cans of tuna and black beans this week and that's it. So it's like just all these extremes. But yeah, I had to deal with my money stuff when I became an entrepreneur. Yeah. Because what I realized, it wasn't just about me anymore. I have a team and everybody needs to get paid and I need to be a good steward of money it's not just about me anymore. It's about the business. It's about many other people. Yeah. Did you notice that you were playing out some of those same patterns in your business? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And definitely, I think, gosh, just, Oh Lord. I mean, think about sales calls, like the level of desperation and fear that I had on my first sales calls, I cringe thinking about how those calls went. Yeah. It was like, well, I'll do this or I'll do that. Or no, like I can give you a discount or we'll do a payment plan that's spread out over 17 months and it'll be this about. And like, oh my gosh, it was bad. So it definitely sabotaged my business in the beginning. Sales calls are so wild because it's like we're simultaneously attaching our worth to whether they say yes or no. So it's yes. like our worthiness is on the line, which makes us want to do all of those crazy gymnastics to get a yes. And then at the same time, we project all of our weird money stories onto mm-hmm. this potential client. So like they may not have a fear of spending that money, but we're almost like scared for them Mm -hmm. or whatever. That's just like one example, Mm -hmm. but... No, it's so true. I was so doing that. Yeah, it's bizarre. So I think I... I mean, I got in the mastermind, the one you were referring to, and someone had wrecked... Because I actually acknowledged, I was like, I have a problem with money. It's not necessarily making it. I had gotten pretty good at making it. I had a problem keeping it. 
Like every time I would get it, either crazy expenses would come up or there'd be something I'd have to pay or I'd go spend it on something I didn't even want. Yeah. Like I was just, I couldn't hold on to it because I didn't, it's identity, right? I didn't see myself as someone who had money. So there was no way I was going to let myself hold on to it. And I know that sounds nuts, but I know that that's what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you're naming it too, because it's like, we spend a lot of time subconsciously playing out these patterns. And so it's like, there might be somebody listening that's like, Oh no, like I don't feel that way. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, your bank account is the evidence. And so it's like, if the money hits the bank account and then there always is some sort of financial crisis, there's always some reason that the money has to leave. There is something there, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like either we're playing out the abandonment over and over again, or Mm -hmm. we're playing out the fact that we don't trust ourselves with money. And because we don't trust ourselves with money, then it actually feels horribly anxiety producing to have it. Mm -hmm. So it feels better to spend it and have an empty bank account than to have it sitting there and being like, Oh, what am I going to do with it? What am I going to do with it? Yeah. You know, also, so I don't reflect on this very much. I was telling Emily, it's great to be on a podcast that's not about relationships. So we're going places I don't usually go in my brain, but One of the things I realized too was healing the relationship with my dad. Mm. So my dad had been my money model, right? And it went horribly wrong. And he's actually great now, like good good for him. He's in a good path. But my childhood, it was terrible. So much fear and anxiety. And I had tried so hard to be good enough for him and like win his love and appreciation, et cetera. And I thought I could do that by earning a lot of money. Mm. When it didn't change my relationship with him, I finally confronted my dad about stuff and finally worked through all of that. And I swear to you, that's kind of when the money stuff clicked for me. It was like, I can take my own path. I, I no longer have to follow the model that was given to me. Yeah. That's so beautiful. And it's really true. Like everything it's so tangled together right? Like, and we can, we can choose the entry point of hiring Dr. Morgan because we want to work on a romantic relationship. We can choose the path of hiring me because we want to work on relationship with money. We can choose the path of hiring a nutrition coach because we want to work on our relationship with self and body image and food. Ultimately, all of those paths lead to the same knot that has everything all wrapped up in it. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I laugh sometimes in money coaching because it's like, it's all about money and not about money at all mm-hmm. at the same time. So I love what you're mentioning there because it's like, when we choose to heal anything in our lives, there's a ripple effect because it's all connected. Absolutely. And what a bonus right? Like what an incredible bonus that you get to heal your relationship with your dad and it heals part of your relationship with money. Like, hell yes. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. Yeah. And I, I think just adding to that, like the power to say, I can have my own path. Like I, I don't have to believe the same things my parents said about money or I, I don't have to carry that same pain with me and being able to decide, okay, what do I want my relationship to be like with money? It's a relationship. Yeah. Just like relationships, you know, like an intimate relationship, it's a relationship. And I think once that really clicked for me too, I started to hear all the negative stuff in my head and all the lies and being able to say, wow, I wouldn't treat my worst enemy this way. Like, why am I thinking this way about money? Yeah. I love that lens of a relationship because I feel that way too. Like, okay, well, if I was money, would I want to be in a relationship with me? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is no, then it's like, okay, well, what needs to change? Yeah. And I think one of the best things I did for myself is I, I took what I know about romantic relationships and mental health and all the healing, this foundational truth 
that knowledge is power and that when we have acceptance, that's how we move forward. Finally, taking that and applying that to money allowed me to look at my bank accounts for the first time, like in high levels of detail, look at my student loan balances, look at my credit cards, you know, create a plan that empowered me with money. Like I was in denial and numbing and shutting off from it for so long, just pretending it wasn't there, had to get to that place of acceptance Mm. and reality so I could empower myself with knowledge and move forward. Yeah. Yeah. So you decided to start giving your money a little attention. Yes. What did you find? Like, was it scarier than you thought it was going to be? Or was it actually more manageable? It was really manageable. Honestly, it was way less scary than I thought. It is full of surprises though. Like you would think even after all, like, I mean, I've done a lot of work. I read like 20 plus books on money mindset. I journal, I do all this stuff. There are still days when if I look at my bank account and it's a high balance and there's a lot of money there, I feel physically uncomfortable and I know I, I would have been more comfortable if it was low. Like mm-hmm. there, there are still these internal parts of me that feel uncomfortable with large amounts of money. Yeah. So that surprises me just how much it's like every level has new devils. You know, the, you know, the saying like, yes. the more money you make every level, you have to reprogram yourself to receive it and accept it. Yeah. So I'm becoming that version of me that accepts it and says, thank you more, please. I know you talk about that. Like, yes, Yes. thank you more. Right. So I have to work on that. It doesn't just stop. It's a daily practice. Yeah. Well, and I'm so glad that you're speaking to this because it's not the predominant narrative. The predominant narrative is I open my bank account and I see there's nothing there, or I see it's negative and that's what's scary right? And for some people, that's true. And for you, that may also be true, right? It's not a one or the other. Yes. But what doesn't get talked about enough is I open my bank account and there's too much and that feels scary. And people from my background or I, you know, I I don't like to compare myself, but I think coming from the scarcity that I did and then making this jump. I don't know as many people that have done it this quickly. Mm. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I think like maybe for other people, there's a bit more time or, or they they simply can't, they can't break it. They can't get out of the cycle. They don't do the work. So yeah, both are hard. Both are. Yeah. And it comes down to identity, right? It's like, how, how do you see yourself? That's right. Well, and I think part of the reason that this other narrative is not predominant, it's for a couple of reasons. Like we do know that the vast majority of people on this planet do not have surplus, right? So that's fact. And then because of the conditioning we have around money that we really shouldn't talk about it, that it's taboo, the idea of saying out loud I have too much money in my bank account and it makes me feel uncomfortable. It sounds like the most bougie first world problems, pity party, like, oh, you poor woman, that must be so hard to see too much money in your bank account. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, okay, I'm just going to... (laughs) Yeah, let me not talk talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. And what's so interesting is I know, I know that there were times in my life where if I had seen 5k in my bank account, I would have felt that way. Right. I would have been like, Oh my gosh, what should I do with this? I don't know what to do with it. It's that feeling of, Oh my gosh, it's here, but I don't know what, what to do with it. Right. And it would create so much anxiety. So now obviously that number is a lot different where I feel that and it's all about the reframe and accepting a new level. Yes. And I will say this. One really important shift for me has been giving back mm. and really like envisioning how do I want to give back to people? What is the good that I'm going to do with this money? 
that's been more motivating than anything. Yeah. I love that. And it does, it helps change our relationship with money, you know, that we get to the more of it we have, the more good we can do. Yeah. That's like such an empowering affirmation. Yeah. Cause you're like, I don't know what to do with it. Like, we'll go build a school in Africa. Like, you know, I, I don't know. Like there's always going to be something when you give money to good people, there's always something good you can do with it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So talk to me, like, let's catch up to more present day. Like what does an average month look like in your business? So definitely have ups and downs. I would say consistently doing uh, anywhere from 30 to 50,000 in revenue. Mm -hmm. And do you know what cash collected looks like on a monthly basis? We do a lot of pay in full in my business now. So it's, it's pretty close. It's usually third, like 25, 30. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yay. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. We have good profit margins. We're a very healthy business. I have cash reserves. I have a business tax account, business savings account, a payroll account, the business checking account. We are a healthy, healthy business and it feels great. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. You're like, look at me growing up in the <laughs> entrepreneurial world. <laughs> like I actually know what I'm doing. I have separate bank accounts and <laughs> have an accountant and wow. Yes. It's exciting times. <laughs> yeah. That is so cool. And part of the conversation that I like to have when we're talking about numbers too, is how much you pay yourself typically, just because I think we get triggered sometimes around numbers because when people share them, they're sharing like revenue. And we sort of compare that to our net profit or oh, for sure. what we're paying ourselves. Oh, so a big misconception. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it varies a little bit, but if you could just give us an idea. I probably do this differently than most people. I have a set payroll amount that I pay myself, which is 5k. Okay. And then I take owner's draws yep. every quarter. And I, I base that off of how profitable we've been, where all the business accounts are at. But I would say anywhere from like 25 to 30K a quarter. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that strategy goes back to like the sophistication of your business, right? Like when you start working with accountants... And yes. CPAs, you know, they're going to talk to you about like, should your business be an S corp? And if it's an S corp, we want you to have, you know, to have a payroll, but it can be smaller and then you can do owner draws. And yes. so, yeah, like I'm not an accountant. I'm not giving like advice around that, but if, if I have found that's what works, it's like yeah. find the people that will give you advice that's specific to your business. But the way that you have yours set up, Morgan, is very similar to what we do as well. Absolutely. I love that. And I think, gosh, if I'm sure you talk about cash flow quadrant, maybe in some episodes or talk two, about two. it. No, it hasn't come up yet. <laughs> the big light bulb for me was do you own a business or do you own a job? Mm. Right. I have owned a job for a very long time and I'm working on owning a business, but being able to conceptualize my business as the thing that fuels my assets, my ability to acquire assets, right? So what I have is a freedom creation account, yep. which I feel like you are on the same page. Yes. And I feel so happy when I put money in that because I know I'm investing towards assets that will allow me to have passive income in the future. Yeah. So that's where I'm at financially now is that bigger picture of I'm buying assets with my business. Yes. Yeah. So let's talk a little more about that. Like, what are you doing to grow your money or grow your net worth? So I'm still in the research phase. And something I have found is that there aren't many women in this space. Yeah. Of, okay, I have money. Now I want to buy assets. And I keep kind of trying to find the right people to connect with to be able to do that. But it hasn't really clicked for me because I, I would like a mentor in that space. But I feel pulled to real estate 
And I know I've heard you talk about it, like pros and cons. I keep coming back to real estate. I know there's stock market, there's other ways, but I I want to own properties. So I'm still learning and I'm hoping to make those purchases soon. Yeah. I love that. And there's so much to unpack with this. So first off, agreed that there's not enough women in this space. And it's something on my radar is that I really would like to start seeking out the women who can be the experts in each of these pieces so that I have a good referral network because women are rising in their wealth. And then when they're saying, okay, now what do I do with it? When you look at the space of wealth strategists, financial planners, stockbrokers, it's so male dominated, mm-hmm. which is okay in the sense that, like, you know, there's nothing wrong with working with a man. However, I would love for us to have some women mm-hmm. as options, which brings me to my next point. And that is, I'm so glad that you've been working on and healing your relationship with money along the way. Because I think often we use investments as a disguise for our money trust wound. Mm-hmm. Like I still don't trust myself with money. So I'm actually, I'm going to make this investment, AKA, I don't want the money in my bank account. Mm-hmm. But it sounds so good if I just give it to this stockbroker or if I just put it all in real estate. Mm-hmm. But energetically, if that investment is being done from a place of, I don't trust myself, get this money out of my account. I got news. Like that investment is not going to perform. Absolutely. <laughs> we want our investments to perform. And what I have found, you know, you don't want to go around saying, I've got all this money. I don't know what to do with it. Help me out. Like, right. don't just go saying that to random people. Right. So totally. Yeah. You'll, you'll attract a shark for sure. And I've, I've met with many sharks and I've had people want to pressure me to make decisions where I haven't felt like I have all the information. And I've had to really listen to myself and, and say, I don't feel educated enough. It's not a fear thing. It's I want more information. I want to feel fully aligned and good and in control when I make these investments. So it's been a real... I almost want to call it a spiritual journey. It feels like a spiritual journey. Yeah. Just learning to trust myself more. Yeah. Absolutely. Because ultimately, like your intuition will guide you to the right investments. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're feeling pulled to real estate, there's probably something there. And then your intuition will guide you to like the right house or the right opportunity. But you know, yes. if you think about it, you know, billions of dollars have been made through women not trusting themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Like this old paradigm really is, let me convince you that you're not the right steward of your money and that Mm -hmm. I am. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of old sales pitch is basically like, let me show you all the places where you're screwing up. Let me show you all of your blind spots let me show you all of these shiny things that I'm doing so that you'll cough up your money. Mm-hmm. And so I love that you're deconditioning yourself from that. Like, no, yeah. thank you. I'm going to wait until this feels really good and aligned for me. Yes, definitely. I'm slowing down and learning to, yes, use that intuition. And it's it's interesting, I think, being able to be comfortable with large amounts of money in my bank account. That's been a journey in and of itself. And I know, gosh, I know that sounds privileged. And I I am grateful that that is something I have to work on. But I have to work on it. There are days I would like to empty it and just give it all away, you know, because it feels, it it doesn't feel aligned on certain days. So then I really have to work on it. Yeah. But I'm grateful to be where I'm at. And I someday hope to help other women in this place of you can have it all. You can have the great relationship. You can have a great relationship with money. You can learn to have assets. Yeah, You can be in control of it all. You don't have to give away your power and let other people come in your life and tell you what to do. Yeah, You really can educate yourself and know what you want to do with your money. 
That's right. That's right. And I just, you know, what a gift that you're giving yourself by allowing there to be a large sum of money sitting in your account. Mm -hmm. Like it's actually the scarier thing to do. It's the harder thing to do because you have to feel the trigger. It would be easier to dump all of it into a real estate investment. You wouldn't see it every day in your bank account. So true. And so I just think it's really cool to say like, you know, let me go slow. Like, let me breathe through this. Let me sit with this. Let me anchor in this identity. There will be a time when this money gets to go off and play and grow and multiply. Yes, when it feels right. Yeah. And just on that point, another fear tactic that gets used all the time is, well, don't you know that money is just becoming less valuable by the Mm -hmm. day? Mm-hmm. Inflation, you know, gosh, inflation now is probably 5%. So that money is just, it's, you're mm-hmm. losing money by letting it sit there. And it's like, I really had to rewrite that for myself mm-hmm. because I have made bad investment decisions because I was doing it out of lack. Essentially, I was like, well, crap, mm-hmm. this money is, it's already going down in value. So quick, let me invest it. Mm-hmm. And it's like law of attraction. I was afraid of lack. So what I got from the investment was more lack. And now I'm like, you know what? Like, this is the cost of liquidity. The cost of liquidity, the cost of having the money right there in my bank account. I can get it out easily. I can use it for whatever I want. Yes. Is the cost of inflation. And I am okay with that. It's fine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you start to realize the ability to have that available to you so that when the investment feels so aligned and feels so right and you can jump on it, whether it is an investment to earn money or an investment in yourself or in your business, yeah, to have that power and it's available to you, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yes. It really is. It really is. And Mm -hmm. if that means that the money is being devalued a little bit in order to essentially have all possibilities open to you for any type of investment, for any type of donation that you want to make. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like it, to me, it's, it's really no different than like other fees that we pay with money. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I have heard that same, I'm sure we all have that same narrative of, oh, your money is losing value by the second, right? But ultimately we have to make decisions that feel aligned, that that feel good to us. And if that means I wait a little bit, I've accepted that. I'm okay yeah. with it. I used to torture myself, like, okay, today you're gonna make a decision. You will make an investment. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. Like yeah. I I know when it will be right, it'll be right. That's right. Yeah. So I'm curious just to kind of like put a bow on this whole beautiful conversation in the work that you're doing with women around, you know, romantic relationships. How often do you see parallels to their relationship with money or how often do they experience monetary gains as they heal these romantic relationships? I love this question. So It's interesting. I work with a lot of people in the uh, helping professions, a lot of them in healthcare, actually. And the paradigm there is, you know, work harder, take care of others, don't think about yourself, like other people's needs matter more. And what ends up happening is they have a really hard time receiving, whether it's money, love, success. They have a hard time receiving. So what I see is that, yes, when they heal their relationship with themselves, they learn how to receive. That helps them in their careers. It helps them with money. I've had many clients change jobs, get a raise, to, like totally change their, their relationship with money. Mm. And even just allow themselves to envision themselves as a wealthy woman, that they're worthy of that, right? Like, all this comes down to self-worth, right? So if I have the self-worth that I'm worthy of a great, healthy relationship 
It can also say I'm worthy of financial abundance and not having to worry about money. Yeah. So it's beautiful. I see it happen all the time. I'm happy. It's a great side effect of doing the work. It is. I love that so much. (laughs) And I have a feeling that everyone listening, if they're not already connected with you, that, you know, they're going to want to follow along. And I'll just say like, Morgan does an incredible job with the content that she puts out on social media and her podcast is fantastic. So I highly recommend getting connected with her (laughs) and following along and listening. So can you just share the best ways for people to connect with you? Thank you so much, Emily. Yes. So Instagram is at Dr. Morgan Coaching. It's Dr. Morgan Coaching. I'm on there pretty frequently. Try to get a post out a day. And that's honestly one of my favorite ways to connect with people. I write everything. It's all me. I know other people hire it out. Not me. Like That is me speaking to you. So yeah, connect with me on Instagram. And then the podcast. So the Let's... Let's get vulnerable podcasts. We are just about to hit half a million listens right now. Woohoo! Amazing! So, it's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait and for we'll you to drop a link too. for that in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Please tune in. Thank you so much for having. Yes. Oh, thank you. This was like such a fun, enlightening conversation. As you said, it's like it's not the conversation we always have on a daily basis. So yes, it's kind of fun to go there. Absolutely. Yeah. So I just love you and appreciate you. I'm so thankful that you're on the show. And to everyone listening, you know, go ahead and screenshot as you're listening to this. Tag Morgan and I. Let us know what your key takeaways were, what you got away from the show. And we'd love to hear from you. And on that note, we'll see you soon. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. Changing the way we think, feel, and talk about money will change the world. I truly believe that. It starts with you tuning in and it spreads when you share this show on Instagram and Facebook and tag me at mmakesmoney. And you know what moves the needle the most? Taking just a minute to leave a five-star review on iTunes. This show isn't free to produce, so let's multiply those dollars invested to help this show reach a bigger audience each week. Thank you so much for your help. I really appreciate it. And lastly, if you want more connection, more M Makes Money style riffs, and a safe place on the internet to talk about money, jump into my free Facebook group, The Money Club. It's linked in the show notes. Until next time, I'm wishing you health, happiness, and boatloads of money.